Hello and welcome to Don't Look Down, the podcast that makes you just forget about the outside world for just a little while with everything that is going on at the moment. The person that we're going to be hearing from shortly is one of the last people that I interviewed for the show and her name is Stephanie Hicks. I had the absolute pleasure and honour of her travelling all the way from um, Brighton to come and share her incredible story with us. I just wanted to sort of give a shout out to a few people who have helped me put this positive podcast together. And the first person uh, that I have to thank for that is Oscar Irison. He's been the man behind the editing of all the shows, putting putting it all together and helping me and really sort of... um, pointing me in the right directions. Also, Jordan, who designed the really lovely sort of watercolour logo designs. Clem Dalloway, who created the little intro music. I'm really grateful to those people. And also Harriet Ernst and Evans. She's an editor. Um, She's a real dear friend of mine and she's got a real way with words. And when my mind's all jumbled up with a million things um, of trying to put this show together, she has been the person that has um, helped me put it down on paper and put some really good words together. So thank you to those people and also to the people that have actually been on the show. It wouldn't have happened without these people um, sharing their amazing and inspiring stories that have been brought to your ears. So thank you to those people. Now, Stephanie Hicks, I have known since I was 17. She's quite a woman and a very, very close friend. Stephanie, who's struggled for years with, with body dysmorphia, not knowing what that was, when she was younger, uh, GAD and also um, OCD. And it's taken Stephanie a very long time to get help on a few of these matters. She um, travelled the world to escape. And the fact that she sort of never really allowed herself to grieve for her boyfriend who she lost when she was younger and her beloved father. Now, Stephanie's road to recovery began after meeting Jeff Brazier. Jeff is the author of the book, The Grief Survival Guide. They worked together to help Stephanie face the impossible, which was her loss. So we will also be delving into body image and what social media portrays to women today. Also a big subject is depression in males and what is actually being done out there to sort of encourage men who are suffering in silence to kind of speak out and get help. So um, this is a really good show on lots of different sort of mental health and well-being topics. Um, And Stephanie gives her advice on how to be a real and better you and coping strategies for living with grief. So um, her sort of journey of honesty and courage, and that's a word that I use lightly here, her courage and bravery, um, just speaking out, will give um, others hope as she sort of gives insights into how communication, control and talking can really help set yourself free.
So today on the Don't Look Down podcast with me, Emily Taylor, we have Stephanie Orange-Hicks. Hello. Hello. It's an absolute pleasure, to say the least, to have mm. you on the show. Um, it's really exciting. Yes, it is. And it's a big day for us. Massive. Because we haven't seen each other in... I worked out. I, I think it's... I don't know, it's just slightly under 15 years anyway, or thereabouts. Wow. So, yes, um, <laughs> obviously I was 17 when I met you and started um, as an office junior at uh, Bob Stationery Company many moons ago. I was extremely naive. <laughs> as was I. <laughs> Complete airhead. And there was lots of games and tricks that you guys in the office played on me that we all still laugh about uh, now, especially the Maltese stuff yeah. that will never be forgotten. Um, but obviously today we're going to be talking to you about your early teenage years. Yeah. Um, and some of the traumatic things that happened to you, which I think has led to some of your mental health condition, yeah. conditions and issues now. Um, and some of those topics that we're going to be talking about is, is grief. Yeah. Um, from a young age and then obviously yeah. um, a, a bit later on, uh, body dysmorphia, talking about body image. Um, you obviously suffer with GAD and you obviously suffer with OCD. Yeah. And post-traumatic. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder as well so I think all of those things combined yeah have sort of come on from the traumatic experience that you unfortunately suffered when you was younger which we'll, we'll talk more about as we go on but aside from those things and those struggles that you have I have to say you are one of the most positive people to be oh, around. Thank you. And I said earlier on the video that I posted on social media about how you shimmer and you glow and you really, really do. You know, as soon as you see you walk into the room. I do admire your bravery and strength um, for coming on. I know it can be difficult for you, but, but talking um, after so many years of not being able to sort of accept certain things, I think you've made a huge, huge progress. Thank so, you. Um, as I always like to start a lot of the podcasts, um, and I don't always prepare people because I want people to think outside the yeah. box. With everything that you've experienced and taking, you know, the the the, the obvious things like your family and your and your friends and things, what what three things would you say you're most grateful for in life and why? Well, I live gratitude for a start, so I love this subject because I think um, if you're grateful, well, actually, I think it's impossible to feel grateful in the same moment as anger or 
mm. any negative emotions. So one, I think it, it's good for people in that respect. But gratitude changes your life if you can try and properly include it into your everyday. But for the three things I'm most grateful for, um, I would say one for travel that we can travel in yes. the world in this day and age mm. um and i know that we need to look at things in terms of the with the world and world climate change obviously mm. that's not necessarily impacted on the earth in a in a great way however if i hadn't have traveled i wouldn't be the person i am today mm. and i wouldn't have met some of the most wonderful precious, interesting, eclectic group of friends that I have if it wasn't for travel. Mm. So it's a um, massive thing, isn't it? Yeah. And from that, it's so enriching to you in other ways that you wouldn't expect. So obviously you learn about cultures, but when you properly travel and you live with people who are so different to you, it changes you and expands your mind, I think, for the better always. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a great believer in travel <clears throat> as far as you can, whenever you can. You wasn't, we wasn't put on this earth to live within the same postcode all our lives. And if you are the type of person who wants to do that, that's absolutely fine. But do try maybe once a year or so, or when, whenever out. you can afford to step out. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say travel. What's the second thing? Um, so did you say this is aside from friends and family? Yeah, because I know I would say, yeah. I mean, obviously friends and family goes without saying, so it's more just thinking outside the box. It can be something really simple. I mean, you know, one of well, mine's um, music. Yeah. Um, well, the, one of the first things that springs to my mind is the beach. Oh, yes. I absolutely love the beach, the sand. I, I know how some people say they don't like sand on them and I can't understand it. I love the feeling of wriggling my toes in sand and it sort of really feels like it's, it's grounding, I suppose. Yeah, roots you. Yeah, definitely. And I'm quite happy to sort of... I don't like it when there's benches on the beach. I like to be rolling around in that sand. <laughs> yeah, let's bury, let's, let's bury Steph in the sand. I quite like to find sand in my ear hole, you know, from a country ten years ago. Just joking, just joking. <laughs> and it's the whole wide open space. It the is. Sounds, there's something the about the sea is very soothing for the soul. Very. Um, and that's where I find my calm. That's where I'm supposed to be, is the beach. Love I think it. my birthstone really should have been a, a seashell. <laughs> Love it. That's we how can change I feel. it to that. That's fine. And my third would be music, definitely, yes. 100%. It's been a big, um, I suppose it's like your friend or how I feel. Music is my best friend. It's that. Rather than being a person, it, it is still that of a thing like a best friend that's at the side of you that says, well, you know what, if you're not feeling very great today, let's stick this album on for you. What's your go-to album? Wow, knew you was going to ask that. Oh, I know what I've, you're going to oh, say as well. I don't know. Um, I've got such a big interest and um, passion for music. The only music I dislike and hope I'm not offending anyone here is 
the really screaming heavy metal. Thrash. Which, yeah, I find that sort of a bit too much. My mum and brother quite like a yeah, thrash. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, obviously, reggae, Bob Marley. Bob Marley. I've love had that Bob on Marley. this morning. I Have had you? It on. Yeah, I was in the car and I was like, right. I'm driving to this podcast. <laughs> I want to put on an album because I'm the same as you. I've got a very yeah. wide yeah. range of music tastes. And I was like, Bob Marley, because yeah, that's what we used to listen to. We so. did. And I have to, my go-to at the moment, I have to give him a shout out because he really is, is um, Mr. Paul Weller. Oh, yeah. Um, he recorded a most amazing, beautiful album. And um, I think it was the Royal Albert Hall. I'm not sure. But it's with a with an orchestra. And again, it just, it comforts me, it carries me. Um, he feels like a friend by my side. Completely, I completely relate and resonate about. So, yeah. yeah definitely. Just love music. Mine's Could, Mr. Liam Gallagher at the moment. He's well, my best friend at the moment. I was actually <laughs> going to say him and I was thinking I need to stop it, including people, but I have a huge, massive crutch on Liam Gallagher. And I think everyone does at the yeah, moment. I just think the lyrics in his two most recent albums the one that's just out now and the one before gives us a huge insight to his soul and i think he kind of i might be wrong but is very gently touching on our mental and emotional health in a lot of he his is, lyrics he is i want him on the podcast i don't oh, know God. how you'd have to when, invite me <laughs> or but i would that would be yeah um a big i think person because i just yeah. think it's true he he came across as this um like a bit of a loud mouth. Um, yeah, and I can imagine, you know, being fair to Noel, I think he probably was a bit of a nightmare yeah. at times. But he's got such a, a gentle side oh, to him. Has. And it does show in his lyrics. Yeah. And, and often I think, you find the people who do um, sometimes behave, not, I don't want to say badly, but act out, yep. say maybe, are some of the people with the most gentlest, sweetest souls. And the acting out is part of trying to manage what they're perhaps dealing with internally. Mm. Um, he's got a beautiful mind and he's he very has. psychedelic and he I really has. relate to him and I just think Meadow oh, and, that, yeah. and, and Bold and All I Need, I think. Yeah, beautiful and words. Yeah. <laughs> we could go anyway, on. Anyway, this yeah. isn't about Liam Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would like him on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And I'll be there if he comes. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, I'd have to keep it super hush-hush, wouldn't I? Um, so, music, yeah. yeah. And it's funny because my last podcast that I did earlier this week, um, I had Clem Dalloway on, and it was yeah. about music. Okay. And he, he plays guitar and teaches, and it was about how music can impact you on your mental well-being, oh, yeah. your mind, your soul, absolutely everything. So... Yeah, I think they're three wonderful things to be grateful for. Thank you. So let's let's make a start on some of some of the topics we're going to be talking about. So, um, when we met in our early teens, I can remember that whenever we went out, you would never wear certain clothes. Yeah, and jeans was was one of the the things that are that really yeah. sticks out to me that you wouldn't wear. Um, I didn't understand why at the time. I don't even know if you did. No, I didn't. Um, but obviously, finally, for yourself, years later, you've been diagnosed with yeah. body dysmorphia, which I think is becoming quite common 
Yeah. Both young girls, older girls, girls of all shapes and sizes. So it's something that I really wanted to talk about and get yeah. your first-hand experience from. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, so I think I remember being a little girl and never given how I looked a second thought. I remember I loved to wear... Um, pretty rara skirts <laughs> in rainbow colours and I loved my hair and pigtails but I was the one at the top of who had just climbed the top of a tree so I was quite a tomboy um, but loved to wear all, all my girly clothes and then as I went into my teenage years and as the years went on um, it seemed this feeling within me seemed to um, grow with momentum of no you can't wear clothes like that because you you don't look like other girls look like mm. and it would be and still is um a, it's like a vicious voice um inside of me that will if you imagine somebody being horrible in the corner saying to you you look disgusting oh how dare you have thought you looked nice today look again and it could be totally different from one day to another. I, I know that there's some people who struggle and suffer with body dys dysmorphia who will focus on their nose. Okay. Or they will focus on their hand even, um, or one main particular area. And so that can lead to people picking their skin, um, pulling hair out, all sorts of things like that because they're focused on a particular area. For me, it's different every single day. So I might have a day where I think I, I, you know, I never actually believe that I look good, but acceptable is probably the best word. Okay. And I'll accidentally catch myself in a mirror and that whole entire day and probably week for me will be, it will be devastated really. Um, people around me, probably won't notice because I do look, like to always come across as positive, um, which is me, that is who I am. But I have actually used that as quite a mask okay. for how dreadful I could feel inside just because I happen to see a photograph or I happen mm. to see a reflection or God, you know, if somebody ever commented, even the best, most well-wished comment um comments it would just impact on me greatly mm. i can remember being in the changing room of um, a shop in redditch with my friend Kay, childhood friend i think we was probably about probably about 17 mm. and we was trying our outfits on to go out on you know to the local nightclub on the friday <laughs> and i must have been Halfway in between changing, I know that I had my top off and I was bent over. And when I stood up, Kay was actually crying. And she said that she had looked at me without my clothes on and she could see all my ribs sticking out and my spine because I was busy um, starving myself right. to fit outfits. So you know how certain outfits will suit certain body types and they just will not suit another. Mm. I've only realised that over the past few years and I would use it almost as a... I've used body dysmorphia as a stick to beat myself with. Yeah. I think body dysmorphia is a, 
it's in in some ways a form of self-harm and yeah and torture in your own mind oh totally because that's what you know we do we do beat ourselves up so yeah. so wrongfully we should yeah definitely but, you know we do and it's only and <clears throat> i mean very recently that i've come to understand that that's okay you're not going to suit that that doesn't make you a bad person I would always think, and especially as the years gone on, that people would be looking at me and thinking I was disgusting, that people would hate me because of how I looked. Mm. Um, I was incredibly anxious about doing this podcast, and it was actually nothing to do with doing the podcast. I hadn't even given that a second thought. It was about, well, I haven't seen Emily for all these years, what will she do? What if she's disgusted with me? What if she hates me because of the way I look? So... It's a very horrible, intrusive... Um, Self-torture. Yeah, it really because not, is. All I was thinking was, I cannot wait to see you. Um, you know. I think when I t- once I told you, once I actually got it out yeah. and said, I'm actually really worried about how I look, it kind of took a lot of that away from me then because I told the you that you put on, yeah, on yourself. Yeah. yeah, and of course I reassured you. Yeah, definitely. And do you Thank think... You. Obviously, you've 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 spoke quite extensively about how it affects you inside, um, and obviously you've just said that when once you actually got it off your chest, you felt better. Yeah. When when did you actually get diagnosed? So with... I was officially diagnosed with body dysmorphia September last year. Yeah. So that's a long yeah. long time. Yeah. To struggle. More than half my life. So for yes. more than half my life, I've had this. Um, yeah, well, it's an ill. I know it's an illness. To me, genuinely sitting in front of you now, I could say to you, it's not because I know I look disgusting. But you don't. And I just will. But I obviously, that's in your head, yeah. and you can't get past that. So talking about it is a massive step for you. Being yeah. Diagnosed with it again is is even bigger. Yeah. Um, how are you a sort of year on with, with it with it? Originally I struggled with the diagnosis because mm. I thought, well no, that's it almost felt like I was being a it was a I was being fraudulent, if that makes sense. Mm. As in, well no, I haven't got body dysmorphia because I know I look disgusting. And so, so it's accepting it, which yeah. again is something on its own, isn't it? Do you, would you say you've accepted it now? Starting um, to? Starting to. So I suppose it's difficult to know. I accept that I've definitely got a problem there and I've always known I have. Yes. But I, I, what I find hard to accept is I'll still say, well, no, I, I know I'm ugly. So I know you say I have body dysmorphia, but I still know I'm ugly. So it's a bit of a sort of, ba- it's a um, bit of a vicious circle. Yeah. And if I know I have it, and so say if you had a bad hand and you knew you had a bad hand, you'd then, you know, think about that properly and do something to help your bad hand. Yeah, I suppose it's yeah. like if you've broken your hand or you've got a bruise or mm. you know that you, you can, can clearly see, see that bruise going or the cuts or whatever, whereas body dysmorphia is kind of invisible. Yeah. It's how you feel inside your head. Definitely. And I, I mean, you know, I've, I've never had anything like that. Um, but I did have an issue with my nose, I've always, which I've never talked about publicly. 
some of my friends and family know, but I've always had wow. a massive issue with my nose. Oh, you've got a lovely nose. <laughs> Thank you. But, you but it's the same as, as, as how you feel. Yeah. I've hated it. And it was from when I was younger at school, somebody said, oh, you've got quite a long nose. And that was it. Yeah. It's done, isn't it? It sets in. That, so, that seed yeah. and that word, that just destroyed me. Yeah. So I was quite happy. Yeah. Up until that point. Yeah. And it's always been a bit of an issue, but I did have. So you um, can relate quite well then. I can, yeah. Mm. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I love fashion. Yeah. I love same. clothes. Um, and I'm, I'm I've got over the nose issue. I did Good, have um, because it's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> I'm still never going to be. Um, there's always going to be something that you don't like about yourself. Yeah. But it's how your mind can easily run away with you Definitely. and how those feelings of feeling like oh my god it's yeah it's like i when we had our photo taken earlier i have to stand on the one side oh, okay did you notice that i was because too... i don't like my nose from another okay. angle see i was too busy being incredibly nervous about that photograph mm. i've and my friends will know i hate photographs i panic about them um, one of my very good friends, bless her, Miriam, got married two years ago and needed to tell the photographer, the wedding photographer, yeah. about that with me. Um, and she, I mean, I hadn't mentioned it, but it was so kind that she thought of it because she knows how worried I do become about course, photos. Yeah. Yeah. If I put one on Facebook, I'll overanalyze it weeks later and think, what a disgrace. How could I have thought on that day it'd be okay to post that? Everyone must hate me. Um, but we'll look at the comments that you get. And, it, and they're so kind and lovely, but I just think they're saying it because they know I don't, I don't it's like genuine. myself. It is genuine and you do look amazing. Aww. I really do. I'm not just saying that to make you feel better. It's honestly... The thing so with, oh, with body dysmorphia, yeah. what treatment are you having so, around it um, so that other people listening can think, well, God, yeah. you know, I feel like that and I don't like this about myself and yeah. this is taking over my life and it is affecting me posting a picture of me with my friends going out yeah um you know what what treatment are you having I think, for that um well one of the main um pieces of advice i'd give first is tell people don't keep it inside mm. because it can very rapidly lead to eating disorders and other various things the treatment i'm having at the moment is a mixture of something called cat therapy which is I don't know if you've heard of CBT. Yes. So yes. this is CAT. So if I'm right, CBT is cognitive behavioural yeah, therapy. Yeah, cognitive behavioural therapy, yes. And uh, this one is cognitive, if I'm pronouncing that right, analytical therapy. So it's how I think rather than how I behave. Got it. Um, and I'm also having something called EMDR, which is for, it's trauma-based. Yes. So at first, the therapy I was having actually only started in um, June this year. And they told me to prepare myself for it, which I thought hmm. seemed a bit dramatic and over the top. Actually, it's so intense and it's bringing up so many old memories. Um, it can lead me to having a terrible week after, but deep down I know it's because it's working kind of thing yeah. um or sometimes I can feel okay-ish and, and get through the week but it, it's like 
it's the therapy I am having is so intense that it makes you feel exhausted as if you've done a real full day's work. Yeah. Um, and I'm having that at the East Brighton Mental Health Hospital, which for until very recently and probably even now, I get embarrassed to tell the ask the taxi drivers if that's where they can take me. And I'll just say, oh, do you, that road there. Um, and they'll say, oh, do you mean for the mental health hospital? Normal to them to say of it. And for me, I would sort of go, um, yes, with a lot of embarrassment. Um, so, yeah, the therapy I'm having is there with a wonderful doctor. And you are finding it's helping you. Yeah. I think therapy is... You have to go to the dark place, oh, yeah. which you don't want to go to, but it's always there festering to bring it out, yeah. to then accept it and then take the steps to maybe move on. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole reason why I'm doing this podcast, you know, is so many people do feel shame to say, oh, yeah. like you've just explained, if you feel embarrassed to say that you're going to Brighton Mental Hospital, yeah. whereas you shouldn't. Yeah. And I put on the post earlier, it people aren't alone. Yeah. And it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm glad that those steps are being taken. And I think, you know, in this day and age with social media, we've got so many filters, Photoshop, yeah. and there's young girls, older girls, you know, lots in the female industry, in the male industry, that will filter oh, the yeah. absolute heck out of photos. And I think... In the world of like celebrities, there's, you know, there's there's pl plenty of people that suffer from this. But I think um, women like Bryony Gordon, I don't know if you've heard of her, and Chessie King, who are now posting real pictures of themselves with bit wobbly bits coming yeah. out. Um, Bryony Gordon's ran like the London Marathon in her pants. Yeah. And I just feel that those women are so inspiring oh, and are doing yeah. such a, a massive thing for social media. And yeah. it might not hit a young girl now. They might look at that and think, oh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, show all. And, yeah. But then, but, but, you know, a few years on, that, that same girl might look back at those posts that they've done yeah. and be like, actually, it is about being real. It is yeah. about, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do feel that, you know, um, that's that, that's an amazing thing that people are doing. Um, what 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 do you think, Stephanie, can be done to combat the rising influence of social media, and how the sort of the the fakery can affect potentially vulnerable people? I think um, it, it is such a big topic and quite an urgent issue, mm. really, because. We all compare ourselves to others. That's natural that we do that. But it's now at, on a completely different level. And it must be so incredibly hard for young girls and men who are seeing the celebrities who go on Love Island, for example, mm. or and, you know, they, they you know, do have fantastic <clears throat> bodies. Um, of course they do. That's why they were picked to go on that show. And they are the fewer um, sort of people in this world who do tend to have what, you know, well, I just said perfect bodies, but is there a but perfect you, body? There isn't. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's what some 
I, I find it quite interesting. It's a question that I ask a lot. I mean, also, you know, what, what type yeah. do, do you like? And it's not always that. Yeah. Which is quite compelling to hear. Yeah. I think men do like women with a bit of curve. Yeah, I think um, they do. Especially when they are a, a bit older and... Or, or maybe they always did anyway. But, you know, grown up, matured and real. Exactly. Um, because yeah. it's... I think what often I even though I know these facts so I know that I can look at a magazine and there's a lady on the front of it and she looks absolutely incredible it's been airbrushed yeah <laughs> endless no legs um, perfect nose say I'm sure you've probably you know noticed that in magazines and everything's perfect Jennifer Lopez's nose to me is like the perfect nose the one you'd strive to have yeah but, <laughs> but my husband Mark was like yeah but it wouldn't look right on your face Em oh that's beautiful it, because it wouldn't it wouldn't suit you yeah because it's yeah. not you exactly because I was considering getting a nose job oh was you really yeah yeah and I have I've got an over it a bit more now well I'll say then so only last week or even possibly the beginning of this week I've googled what it costs to have a nose job in the UK and <laughs> in versus overseas I've googled all sorts of things arm lifts that's so me, who knows full well that these images in the magazines um, have, or, you know, or online have been altered and made to look what, to something we'd all aspire to be. And so I fully well Why know that. Why do we that. do it to ourselves? We know it. Yeah. But we, we still beat ourselves yeah. up. And that's what I worry for the younger generation yeah. now, because they, they will know it but they'll still believe they have to strive to it because, the, the, for example, the cast of Love Island, just picking on it for no reason other than the people obviously all look great, their own photos would have, even though we can see they look incredible in real life, their own photos would have still been airbrushed and touched up and filtered mm. and changed. Um, so I don't think you're ever going to win and they do say beauty is in the eye of the beholder and as I'm growing up I'm understanding what that phrase really means now yeah, definitely and there is nothing more beautiful than when you see a man or a woman look at their partner with those eyes it's when those you can eyes, just see look. it they just absolutely adore them and that there's nothing more beautiful than that and so my advice to youngsters or anybody really who's, you know, Got worried, yeah, would be to remember that love is actually inside. It's inside of you. And I think it was a Roald Dahl, if I'm pronouncing his name right, yes. um, once said something about if you believe and think ugly thoughts, you will look ugly, you'll come across as ugly. But if you believe in beautiful, happy, nice, kind thoughts, even if you've got crooked teeth and hair sprouting out of where it shouldn't be and, I don't know, a hump on the back, where on your back, and you're not a camel. <laughs> um, I think you'll still look absolutely beautiful. Definitely. And it's being able to understand that and being able to realise that we are just skin and bones. Some people might have won the genetics lottery, somebody else hasn't, but all that matters is that you're actually nice. That's really so all it, that it matters, really is key, that you're kind, it? 
because, because kindness radiates out it does. And what you might be feeling inside somebody could look at you and think wow yeah that beauty is coming out yeah, and it definitely. really does shine doesn't it and have you ever seen it what you know who you consider a stunning woman or an incredibly handsome man on telly say and or in real life and they've actually said a few really quite ugly things puts you off straight and away. straight away you no longer see that person as even remotely attractive you don't see them in the same light so yes um, I think that's very important and, and key to sort of recognise yeah. those feelings and remember the things that you've just said. And, you know, if you are really struggling and starting to sort of self-harm because of how you feel, go to the doctors, Definitely. talk to somebody, see a GP. There's lots of help out there. Talk to your friends, talk to as many people as you can. Yeah, definitely. Don't Follow people like Bryony Gordon and Chessie King on yeah. Instagram and Twitter. You'll see it firsthand. You'll be able to relate to them and think, you know what? They're yeah. inspiring women, they're brave, they're, they've got a lot of courage and they're doing a lot for people. And also, I think uh, maybe mothers and fathers of young girls, but and also I must include boys as well, because mm. I think the um, social media, again, with boys, it's a big, you know, um, pressure for them to have mus muscles here, there and everywhere. Yeah, completely agree. I, th I think parents of these youngsters, it would be great if you could say to them, you know what, although you have long brown hair and dark skin, and you, I bet you, you know, may wish to have blonde hair and light skin, or you might be short and want to be tall, this has happened to every single person in the world and will happen forevermore. Because you always want the opposite of what you've got. Of course you do. Totally. I wanted blonde hair and I was I younger. wanted brown. It's always what you haven't got. Yeah. But it's about learning to accept, actually. It's you're beautiful as I've who you are. I look stupid with bright blonde hair. I've always wanted smaller boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted bigger ones. <laughs> I'm joking. You'll never, ever... You'll never be happy completely. Yeah, and I think it's that's something yourself. to really hold on to. But if it's gone to another level, if it's making you worry that people hate you, if it's making you just live your life in misery, making you starve yourself or overeat or anything like that, then that's a different scenario. And please do go to your doctor because there is Definitely. help out there to Definitely. help show you you're beautiful. Definitely. Thank you for that. So that was the bit on obviously um, body dysmorphia. Um, and there's lots of different subjects that we're going to be talking about. But I wanted to go back to your teenage years and something that I think you know, I believe and from what you've said to me has impacted. Yeah your the rest of your life yeah definitely um, and some of the symptoms and mental health issues that you do suffer from so um when you was um younger in your teenage years um you lost your boyfriend yeah um through some terrible and traumatic circumstances and then years later you also lost your beloved father and, yeah. and, and again um quite a traumatic um, circumstance and events. Yeah. So um, you suffer with obviously OCD, GAD, and you've got um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which I think has come from those yeah. early years. Would you mind 
which I know is quite difficult for you yeah. to talk about, um, so please say as much or as little as you want okay. and what you're comfortable with. Would you mind just talking us through those events that happened yeah. when you was younger and then we can move on to how it's affected your life Definitely. after? Definitely, yeah. So first of all, I'll just say I think I always had... They Well, they say that OCD in particular and things like body dysmorphia tend to kind of make an appearance in in your life, in your teens. And the majority of people kind of don't even realise that they maybe had it slightly and it completely goes as you as you grow up. Whereas if you have a traumatic event, um, or even if you don't, sometimes it can be exaggerated um, during, as you're going through your teenage mm. years. Um, I think it was becoming quite apparent to everybody in my family, although I didn't realise, that I was anxious. My sisters said that I used to touch things a couple of times more than everybody else. But when um, my boyfriend died, for around a year leading up to that happening, I think, well, I know that my OCD kind of really started gathering momentum and started to become what you'd kind of say is out of control. Mm. Um, and so it was all around that time. I can't go into very much details because, one, I'm, I'm still find it too upsetting to discuss. Yes. Um, and two, out of respect for his family, who I love dearly. And because he was a minor, he was only 16, we were both only children um, at the time, although you don't feel like you're a child. Um, but I think because it did happen then, it was kind of worse because, again, you were, as I just touched on, you don't believe you're a child. But you've certainly trying to just struggle with the adult world as it is. Of and, and so I know that my, well, I was diagnosed with anorexia as well just after it happened. But my OCD was just out of control at that stage because, because when the events that happened around it were out of my control... I think my brain tried to react um, by being in control, which was very much the rituals I was doing with my OCD, mm. controlling what I was eating, because everything else was out of control around me. Um, the OCD um, was about checking things. If I didn't check them, then somebody would die. And that right. was such, and is still, a massive that thing was for me. I was just going to say, because I think people think it's OCD where, you know, you're just having to keep the, the kitchen clean yeah. and you don't like crumbs on there, which is certainly an element of it, but it's so much wider spectrum of OCD. It really is. Where you, you, your thoughts start to, you know, like, oh, if I don't do this, this yeah. person might die. Or yeah. if I don't eat this, or if I don't starve myself, it, it then the, the OCD... Yeah. It's extreme OCD. My mom suffers from OCD. It's prevented yeah. her from working. Can you know she doesn't do a certain ritual in the morning? Yeah, that's it for the day. Yeah, you know, it's 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 quite distressing. Yeah, to see 
um, an experience. So, yeah. I think, unfortunately, there's been, over the last, you know, five to ten years or so, programmes on the telly that made OCD just look like people who wanted to have a particularly amazing, sparkling house. There's a difference between being clean and tidy as to having OCD. And I think it, because of that patterns. stigma. Yeah. It's how you think about something, you know. Yeah. There's some forms of OCD which have been touched on on other podcasts that I've listened to and other people that have been on this podcast where they have like strange thoughts. That yeah. They think, and it almost becomes like, I shouldn't be thinking yeah, that. Yeah, intrusive thoughts. Intrusive yeah. thoughts. Are like, I'm not, I know I'm not going to go out and murder that person, but yeah. why have I just thought it? Yeah. You know, it's it's things like that with OCD, isn't it? It's exactly that. Mine, um, I have intrusive thoughts, not, not like that. My intrusive thoughts will be, I'll be happily walking down to the local corner shop where I live, and a voice will say to me, or the, it feels like a voice, but it's a thought, will say, you need to kill yourself. And mm. some days those thoughts will be so vicious and, and the, it, the word intrusive is so good to explain it mm. because it's not what you want, it's not what you're thinking you want. But it's kind of like listening to that voice, nagging and chipping away at you, telling you that, mm. or telling me that. Um, there's, I will do, I, I, do, I can't even, my doctor will say to me, can you tell me some of the things you're, you're OCD? Um, can you tell me some of the traits you're having with OCD at the moment, any behaviours? And it's so difficult because I've become, going back to my teenage years when my boyfriend died, I became aware that the things I was doing weren't normal other people wasn't doing them so I had to make sure I hid them and that people didn't notice and occasionally since then somebody might have pointed out that they've noticed I do something but mostly I managed to keep it inside so although I'll touch things five times um, and, there, and a few things I'll do externally a lot of my OCD is internally mm. um, and it's like a battle um, OCD is used as a joke so often and I think it's limiting us um, as, as a world to be able to understand OCD properly when you yeah. see these you know cushions with I'm OCD over my yeah, kitchen it, it, or, and, it, and it certainly it, isn't a joke, is it? No. So do you think that you're, a lot of your, I mean obviously you said that OCD was kind of there but obviously when that traumatic yeah. incident happened, it was like how some, old was you? I was, I was just, Six. I'd been 17, two weeks after my 17th birthday, yeah. it was. Which is a, which is a, an important time. Yeah. So, you know, that obviously has led, and I think obviously the fact that you didn't get the help. Yeah. That you needed. What I did was I hid away from it all, frightened, worried. That's when the first thoughts started really escalating um and I th and that's when I started starving myself mm. um because I know I now know that was definitely a form of control um but also self-harm um because of what happened 
Um, and it then was definitely um, post-traumatic stress that you oh, were yeah. suffering with as well, which again 100%. is something that you know under those circumstances need to be addressed. Yeah, and quite, are only being addressed now. Um, and I find it incredibly difficult when I have a treatment where I have to, I need to bring a memory up, and I need to focus on my doctor's fingers, and he'll move them slowly, right to left. Um, because this form of treatment was discovered by a lady, um, a professional mm. um, medical lady to do with mental health, was once walking down a beautiful wide country path and on each side were the trees perfectly lined. And she noticed that when she moved her eyes to the left and looked at the trees and to the right, it was changing her thought pattern mm. and it was helping some emotions to come up and some to be calmer um i've only just been told that so i don't know the exact um, very things but yeah, yeah that's a lot of the treatment that i'm getting for post-traumatic stress but it's terrifying because i've buried what happened so to long. me and to and to my boyfriend for all these years I've kept my OCD a secret. One of them, especially because you hear people just go, oh, what, do you just want to wash your hands a lot? And whereas actually it will be, oh my God, if I don't wash my hands and I touch this, then I've hurt this person or it's... So for example, when I came today, I said I'd love a coffee. I've got OCD massively around tea and coffee and I you very kindly, well, Oscar very kindly offered me a coffee. And instantly I panicked because I can only drink out of my own kettle back in Brighton, mm -hmm. which I descale probably every three days. Got it. Um, and I have my own special cup, my own special spoon, if it has to have been washed by me. I completely understand that. Um, growing up with my mom with OCD, mm. sorry to interject no. there, I can remember getting a glass out of the cupboard yeah. and thinking, actually, I don't want that. And if I put the glass back in the cupboard, yeah. my mum would be going, what are you doing? Yeah. And the whole entire contents of that cupboard yeah. had to come out by my mum, touched by my mum's hands, washed, dried and put back in the cupboard by my mum. Yeah. And everything was on a rotation system. So her towels, mm. like a tea towel, I thought, oh, that tea towel's dirty, I need to get another one. I couldn't just pick it from the back. Mm. It, every Everything with my mum has it has to have a turn. That's oh, the way she... Okay, So yeah. I don't know whether you can relate to that. I think she's... And I'm not your mum, so I wouldn't want to. I, I, what sort of sprung to mind when you said a turn made me think... Because a lot of it, people struggling with OCD are actually very kind people who are trying to protect their loved ones from awful things happening to them, hence they are doing, completing these rituals and routines, etc. When you then said everyone has to have its turn, to me that sounds like she's almost given them a bit of a personality. Completely. And so she doesn't want that one to be left out. Completely. And because it shows how compassionate. I mean, I have met your mum. <laughs> I've spent many an evening with your mum. Had no idea, by the way, that she had OCD. Um, and, and what a I shame. Hid it. I hid it from my friends. And if I'd have known, maybe I might have known 
them. This is it, isn't oh, it? Oh, I do this too. There's somebody else in the world that, you're that not is alone. like me. Yeah. Yeah. Completely innocent. And I'm only guessing that she's saying that with um, the tea towels. I think you're right. Dishcloths. And she is because she's massive on the environment. Yeah. And she, you know, like the old fashioned shopping trolleys. Yeah. Before green recycling wheelie bins were brought out, my mum recycled everything. Oh. Even to the point where it was like, the, the, you know, when you finish the toilet roll. Yeah. That. The tube. The tube. Oh. Absolutely everything. Good and for her. Even like the, the dishcloth. Yeah. It would be used to the point of, you can't, mum. I used to have to say, mum, right, okay. We can't use this, this dishcloth anymore. We really can't because there's that many holes in it. But I'll wash it. No, mum, we need to just get a new one. So sometimes I would have to... Disrupt, disrupt yeah. her yeah. thinking pattern and it was very difficult to live with her yeah because and that probably was so distressing for her and would have been so nerve wracking for you yeah because you knew what you was about to do and sometimes I'd do things and I'd wash up and she'd go why, why have you done that I'd be like yeah. oh, I can't win but now I understand it and Actually, this whole podcast, my mum's been a lot of inspiration behind. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of the reason why I've done it, because I didn't understand mental health and OCD and yeah. all the different things when I was younger growing up with it. Whereas now I understand it. Yeah. I've got a lot more compassion. Yeah. It, and it's... Um, I... From my point of view, my OCD is all about protecting other people. Yeah. And so even if I've just made myself a cup of tea with my, you know, perfectly descaled kettle in my... I have to add glass cups so that I can see at all times what's happening with that cup of tea. And I know that where my milk has come from is... I'll go as far as thinking... It, well, I know it's come from... um a farm where the cows are looked after particularly well but oh. I can only use that milk for a day because it might have then been contaminated um but a lot it's of exhausting mine though, it's isn't it? absolutely exhausting <laughs> it is and all of mine is ultimately about well if you you've just drank that cup of tea and you knew it wasn't perfect and so really, you know, you've exposed and put all your loved ones in danger today because you did that and so again, I think OCD is also another form of self-harm. These things are horrible. I think a lot of what you're suffering from um, and what of, lots of what you've been diagnosed with, they all kind of link oh, yeah, in some definitely. way. Uh, from just listening to you, I mean, I'm no doctor or professional or anything I know, like that. But... I know that um, a lot of... you. So OCD and body dysmorphia are two separate things, but you can often find that they come in hand in hand mm. it's more common that people with body dysmorphia will have ocd i believe than people having ocd would then get body dysmorphia and and they're not necessarily always going to happen together um but it, it is a i i believe a form of self-harm mine definitely is mm. so i love reading and i can't read anymore properly because I need to say everything I need to say all the punctuation and if I don't somebody will die got it um mm. and so therefore it takes all the enjoyment away from reading and I love really lovely well-made cups of tea and so it focuses on that so it, it's almost as though my OCD will 
make a point of ruining the things I enjoy. Um, so do you feel that you're getting the right treatment for that to help you overcome it? I definitely know that I'm getting the very best treatment I possibly could. Um, I can't fault the NHS and the treatment I am receiving, um, which I'm incredibly surprised to be saying. I went through a stage of hating the NHS because I believe they let my da dad down and that's why he died. Yeah. Um, so until the last couple of years, I used to only go to a private doctor who was wonderful, so he was like a granddad. Um, but I was paying £90 just for a five-minute appointment mm -hmm. because I had to go private, absolutely had to. I could not go and see anybody in the NHS, no, because, you know, it just wouldn't be okay. Whereas now I have the most wonderful GP NHS and and also the, the team. I have a whole team that um, look after me Good. at the Brighton Mental Health Hospital, which is made up of a psychiatrist, um, a psychologist who is Dr. Marks, who is providing the therapy for me. And not, I'm not so embarrassed to say, as I have been, but um, a lady which is called, her job title is lead practitioner slash social worker. Mm -hmm. And I never thought I would need a social worker because, again, there's a bit of a kind of stigma about that. It's names and titles, exactly. but it's, it's down to the individual, and I think that we are lucky with the yeah. NHS. You don't, I certainly didn't realise it until my daughter was born, yeah. um, and that's one of my grateful things. Yeah. I really am, and a lot of the time when you pay for people that are private are the same people that you they see on the NHS are. anyway. Yeah. Um, we're stretched. Yeah. That's the only thing. And it's a shame, and so we do see a lot of complaints but I believe the actual workers in mental health, I think, um, um, I don't know if this is correct, but I know as, if I could put it more general, that the mental health is the department which receives one of, if not the least, it's one of the lower mm. um, fund, fund, funded yeah. organisations, sections. But the actual people who work for them are great. And Well, I'm glad that you get yeah, in. I'm getting you know, a lot you, of help. You probably, a couple of years ago, wouldn't have even entertained no. coming on a podcast, would you? No, um, so, not you know, at all. You, you, you've made good steps, and I think that anyone that's suffering from any of what Stephanie's talking about, definitely go and see your GP. Yeah. Um, speak to people. Don't stay silent. There yeah. are so many people out there... You know, you could be working with somebody and yeah. you might have a portrayal of them thinking their life's great, but yeah. actually they might be suffering the same as you. Yeah, they might be eating their lunch next to you and then get popping into the office toilets and vomiting it Exactly, up. you just don't know. Yeah, you just never But there know. is help out there. So be kind. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So talking about your wonderful father. Yeah. That obviously... You know, you had the, the, the traumatic circumstances behind obviously losing your boyfriend and then obviously hiding all of your OCD and mental health yeah. issues that you had and not getting the help that you needed. And then obviously events took place, which, um, you know, you your dad was your, your rock. Absolutely. Your, your best friend and you went through quite a traumatic experience again. Yeah. With that, which I think then led to you wanting to just completely escape. Definitely. 
go traveling but um we'll start at the beginning about your dad yeah and then you're traveling and then obviously about the jeff brazier book the grief yeah. survival guide because we hadn't seen each other in years and you reconnected on facebook which yeah. i was like wow <laughs> i was so pleased and we started speaking again um and you posted about the fact that you'd got a chapter in the Jeff Brazier book yeah. called The Delayed Start, yeah. which is all about grief um, around your dad and what happened to you. Um, now, I obviously attended your dad's funeral yeah. and automatically after reading it, I cried. Oh, yeah. Um, it was the way you'd written it, the words that you'd chosen, the dedication to your father, but then... Obviously, I knew you'd gone travelling, mm -hmm. but I didn't realise the extent of why, yeah. a lot of the reasoning behind why you'd gone yeah. travelling. Um, so although there's some funny stories with your yeah. um, <laughs> extensive travels and, and journeys and, and things, um, yeah, I think that a massive step was taken um, in, write, in yeah, writing that. huge. Um, so we'll start with, with your dad yeah. and then we'll move on to those other things and how you met Jeff as yeah, well. Definitely. So I'll let you do the talking now. So, um, as you, you said, I got along with my father incredibly well. In fact, so did you. We had, yes. he was quite a joker. Um, I think I take after him in terms of personality. Definitely. And just for the record, he used to drive around in a trotter's independence, <laughs> only fools and horses replica van, which was just, which sums him up completely, doesn't oh, it? Oh, totally, yeah. He was the ge real genuine Dow boy. Um, and so I had quite, uh, my upbringing was full of a lot of laughter. Um, he used to enjoy winding me up left, right and centre. And so, it, yeah, I just, I love my dad more than words. And the day I lost my dad, it was just, it was so just awful. The most, single most heartbreaking moment of my life mm. that day, um, without doubt. And even as I talk to you now, I can feel... Like shaky and things because he was taken away so quickly by a heart attack and I wasn't prepared obviously none of us were but drawing back on my boyfriend who had died I didn't learn or, or put it the other way I learned at a very early age to hide and bury emotions I didn't know how to grieve because I still hadn't grieved um, for my boyfriend, mm. I, I just buried it away somewhere else and, and actually kept busy with probably all my OCD instead. And so when dad died, I just, I absolutely couldn't, um, cope with it at all. I had been a vegetarian for 17 years and I remember, uh, that day I ate meat, um, I think it was kind of throwing a strop at the world. Yeah. Um, as in sort of, okay then, well, I'm going to do this. I was so angry, so upset. I just, all the ranges of emotions, I just didn't know where they could all go. Um, I, it was just, I went around in a bit of a blur. Yeah. And then 
I'd say two months later by then I was off moving to London um, and that was my next travel and escapism away because everywhere in my hometown if I looked at anything it would remind me of course of my dad and I didn't want to think about him no. I couldn't think about no. him <clears throat> and I was riddled absolutely riddled with guilt that I I felt like I it was my fault that he died or because why was that I think was it because you was there when he it went because it was only me and him and the ambulance took so long to come and I didn't know what to do and I couldn't get him out of the bathroom he was stuck in and I just because just for listeners you heard him fall didn't you I did yeah in the, in the downstairs toilet and you yeah. obviously couldn't because it's a small downstairs toilet you couldn't open the door could yeah you? I couldn't get in there at all and my next door neighbor tried with a crowbar he also couldn't get in and it was only when the ambulance came that people finally managed to get in. And by then, there was quite the crowd at my house because um, my friend had driven past with her husband, so they'd rushed up to help. There was obviously the neighbours. My grandparents only live around the corner, so everybody was there. Mm. And I can only remember flashes of this but I know I was in the back garden apparently screaming really wailing in desperation um and it was just I I can remember vividly after being told that he died I can remember standing outside the hospital thinking I'm going to starve myself now that was my first thought right. first back clear thought straight away to that yeah. whereas actually I didn't later that day as I said I started to eat meat yeah and, and I started kind of being rebellious and thinking yeah. you know what I've done 17 years of not eating meat and today yeah. it's like you're putting your fingers up to say Absolutely. I've just had enough what's the point in trying to do all these good deeds when yeah. bad things happen yeah but bad things do happen exactly don't they? yeah whereas I've had a habit of taking out my emotions around on and around food um, whether that's starving myself, whether that's overeating to sort of eat to, to eat enough to bury those emotions so they yeah. can't pop up again or yeah. travel as far away as I can to escape those emotions and when they catch up with you there, move somewhere else. Whereas this time, I, as I say, I moved to London, London yeah. um, and then I buried myself in my career, um, totally and utterly for 12 and a half years, well for 10, because it was after 10 um, that I actually started to speak to Jeff, who, he, he won't, he will, if, when he hears me say this, if you're listening Jeff, you will say, no, it didn't happen that way. I believe he totally turned my life around, whereas he says I did it all myself. He quite adam adamantly says that, but, I think I might agree with Jeff. No. But I do think he had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And he also very kindly says that I've helped him in lots of ways. That's nice. It's mutual. Um, it was. It's always been very mutual with us and, both. And this is the thing about you, Steph. You do. No matter mm. what's happened in your life. You know, I told you my story, which not many pe people do know, but not yeah. publicly. Um, you know, straight away, everything that you suffer with goes out the window and you're there to help other people. Because that, and that's You've how got it such empathy. Be. I think 
we do have our own struggles and and yes it don't please if you're listening don't do what I've done and hide it all inside because it doesn't matter how far you travel how much you don't eat or you do eat it's going to come back those emotions but at the same time separately I feel it's so important to love and support other people and to listen to other people as well because it's not just always about you mm. and it's it, listening is one of the most important things you can ever do. Often people think, well, my friend's got um, a mental health problem or um, somebody's got depression or anxiety and I think it's easier to just fade away from them because I'm not sure what to say. You don't need to say anything other really than would just you like a cup of tea? Who you are. You're yeah. still you're still you. And just listen. Yeah. And listen to other people's stories. And when you start to talk to each other, you start realizing things that you have in common more. And actually one of your best friends might then tell you they have anxiety too. And together you'll fight it. Or when you told me your your story and what happened with you. Of course I would listen entirely to that and it helped me understand you even more mm. and fill in these gaps which we've missed. Um, so with you and Jeff, he said, you know, in fact it was actually you that helped him as yeah, well. Yeah, he so always you, says it. <laughs> so you moved to London, you travelled extensively, yeah. you escaped and then you met Jeff. Yeah. And what happened? So, well, it, I, I, it was a big turning point for me because I knew I, I could not go on any longer with how I was feeling. Mm. I'd worked in London, I think for about eight years. And then when I was working in Oxford Street, I had a call to say, very last minute offer. Um, however, we are opening an office in Brighton, a, a business in Brighton. Would you um, come down and open it for us? And it was so incredibly exciting because by then I was, I, I, I love London. I really do love London. Um, I think once you've lived there for over a certain amount of time, you become a Londoner. Yeah. Um, and even when I've I go, that. yeah, oh, you totally do. And when, 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 as soon as my feet touch the ground in London, off a train, for example, I'll fall into that step. You just do. Um, but I was itching and aching for bigger, wide open spaces by that time. Yeah. You, you know, we've grown up relatively in the countryside, we really. Have. We're so blessed. I do love where yeah. I live. And I felt suffocated. And so it was a very exciting time to move to Brighton. I opened up the business as I was asked. And what I would like to chip in here is my, my OCD in terms of the job I did, actually made me incredibly good at my job. But you are good at your job, whether that's OCD or not. Oh, thank you. You are extremely passionate when you're given something yeah. to do. I've seen that firsthand. Thank you. You are good at it. I was booking huge volumes, huge numbers of flights for very, very important people. A lot of them very well-known British celebrities mm. and footballers or CEOs of big companies and it was so important to keep your eye on the pulse with all those flights and the changes anything like that and I would be in the office quite often till one o'clock in the morning 
checking, checking and checking again. So my OCD at this stage was, was at its absolute worst. Mm. And, I, and I knew I was trying to reach out and get some help, but I didn't know where. Um, I had my car, which I mentioned in the chapter, Bean. <laughs> um, and, and I knew that Bean was in the car park and I really needed to do something about him. Mm. Um, just so that you know, um, as a listener, Bean was the car that my dad had got me. And so therefore I was incredibly reluctant to let him go, even though he absolutely didn't work anymore. <laughs> um, we love Bean. Yeah. And so I'd asked my uncle if he would come down, um, which he did, I think it was on was either New Year's Day or the 2nd of January because I thought it's, it's going to be a new start for me and I'm going to be brave and see what I need to do about Bean. And my uncle came down and very gently and tactfully said to me, it, you know, it was time to let him go because it would cost, you know, five times more than the car was worth to, to get it back on the yeah. road. Yeah. And I just couldn't handle that truth. Um, I burst out crying in the coffee shop we were in. My uncle rapidly changed the subject, as did my family. Always knew never to mention my dad. I just wouldn't talk to my mom, to my sisters, or anyone about my dad. Full stop. It was like the elephant in the room. You just mm. didn't mention it with me. Okay. I couldn't look at photos, anything. And so that day, I was so emotional. And I remember my uncle driving back up to London and I was on my own on the sofa and it was a Sunday evening, I do remember that. And I was felt so hopeless and I was sat there crying and thinking, I, I'll never, I just can't cope with any of this, I don't know what to do, mm. I just do not know what to do from here. And up popped a tweet from Jeff, which... And I can't remember what it was, but it, it what he'd said something that had obviously uh, touched a nerve or awakened my An consciousness. Yeah. yeah, to think right. Yeah, but he gets it in a way, and I don't think at the time it was. Even and that's about the beauty grief. of social media. Yeah, it really is. So for the negative side, you've definitely got the positive side. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeff and I got in touch, he asked me, and this I remember very clearly, he said to me, one of the things he would often ask his sons was, if you imagine grief inside you like a mist, a big red mist, and it starts at your toes and it can move all up through your body, and he, uh, he would ask them, if you think about it now. So I stood there on a high street in Brighton, talking on the phone, and Jeff said, can you look at your feet now for me? Just have a look. And if you imagine your feet, and you imagine this red mist, and it's moving up your body, as a marker, where would you say it is in terms of how you're feeling now if, if, if the mist is grief? So is it in your toes or your whole foot or your ankle? And I, I just straight away said, it's in my neck. And he said, right, I'm coming to see you. And it, and it was, it, I used to feel like it was strangling me. I mm. could physically feel it. And um, I met Jeff and 
didn't let him really talk about my dad for, I don't, Jeff will probably say it was longer, but it was for about two years. Really? It, yeah, I couldn't. And believe you me, that's not any fault of Jeff's. That was me. I've, I've become almost, um, what's the word, a professional avoider. Um, I, can deflect, I can deflect things very easily, put it back to the other person in a nice way, you know, yeah. let's talk about you. Um, but when it was about my dad, it still took me around about two years. So Jeff had his work cut out with you. He then. did. <laughs> he will always, yeah, and he will say he'll agree with you. Not that he will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jeff, but he obviously didn't give up on you. No, he didn't give up on me. He and really that takes a special person, I think. Jeff had also moved to Hove, which is next door to Brighton. Yeah. So we'd often meet on the beach. Um, which I'd usually embarrass Jeff with by strolling along the beach, which is huge pebbles, if you don't know Brighton, in my high heels and often fall over and everyone would be looking at us and he'd be like, Steph, get up! And I'd be rolling around on the pebbles. But it was the one day where I bought him a glass from Waitrose and I said, oh, I've got you the one the same as me that I talked to you about. And I'd been talking to him that I'd been filling it up with orange squash. And um, I'd given him the glass and I said, I've, I've put tissue paper around it so you don't break it. And he said, brilliant. He said, but what if I do? And I wasn't expecting that mm. question. And I said, what do you mean? He said, what if I break it? What, what will happen then? And I, I, I felt panicky and I thought, well, that's okay. I said, I'll get you another one, that's fine. He said, but what if it broke yours? And I said, well, I can't let it break. I won't let it break. I'm going to keep it in a different cupboard at home. But, you know, I really protect this glass that I'm not going to let it break. And he continued to say, but what if it does? And I said, well, then it would all escape. And he said, what do you mean? I said, the orange. And he said, but what's the big deal? Mm. I said, and we eventually got to the conclusion that that orange in the glass was a little bit of something. When I looked at it, it made me feel happy. And Orange I, is a happy colour? It is. And I didn't want it to go anywhere. And I hadn't had any happy thoughts for such a long time. I've, I'd had amazing times where I'd had loads of fun. But I think... As in something that Where you I feel was, contented happiness. Yeah, and frightened to lose it, that somebody else was going to die and take it away from me, probably. And Jeff, I can remember saying, if it broke, where would all the orange go? And I said, everywhere. And, he's, and it, that was quite a moment when I realised that maybe it didn't need to be contained just in that glass. But I was holding onto it so tightly and looking after it because I didn't want to let it go. So orange became so quite significant. Two years to really pick his moment to try yeah. and get your thinking patterns to change so Definitely. that he could get in, yeah. which, is, which is amazing. And a few days later, he, I remember him saying to me, you know what, we are going to have to talk about it sometime, don't you? And I just sort of, I think I must have looked away and he said, Steph, you know we are going to need to talk about it. So at this point, did you agree to do the book? 
No, this was way before the book. And I said, talk about what? Feign in complete ignorance and innocence. And he said, your dad. And I, it felt as if every hair on my arm stood on end, as though I was frozen. But I said to him, I know, yes. And so I then knew the next time I was meeting with Jeff was going to be to talk about my dad. So it was an incredibly nerve-wracking um, few days. And Jeff, bless his heart, um, got my favourite table in my favourite cafe called Marmalade. And it was very private. Orange again. Yeah, and how strange yes, is that? Yes, I just picked up. Yeah. yeah. And we sat there on, at that table and we discussed my dad and honestly i cannot describe to you that emotion it was me desperately trying to hold on and not let jeff see me cry at all um i think it was probably very well i know it was a big deal for jeff as well it was a very emotionally charged hour or so as you can imagine because i'd done a very good job of dancing around that subject for two and, years and now it's and then it was it's there, right in front of you forcing me yeah it, which which needed to happen it did it was very yeah. very long overdue um and I was terrified I was absolutely terrified that if I let one tear come out I would never ever stop crying I was so worried did about you let that. the tears roll not there and then um I can remember we spoke about it and I remember saying this and that and but the ambulance didn't come and um, it's the NHS's fault or it was my fault though because I didn't, I couldn't get the door open and blah 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 and blah 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 until I had come exhausted all of my reasons why and I can remember Jeff saying he still died and he was always going to die and it has, and I said, but I don't want it to be the truth. Mm. And he said, it's but unfortunately, that, yeah. And, and, it, and it's what you needed to, to hear. Yeah, it, is. I needed it probably to... wouldn't have mattered what events took place, no. even if it would happened in a completely different way. Yeah, I know. And yeah. this is what so many people do with grief, you know, especially in, in suicide, you do oh. look to blame yourself. You yeah. do think, what if I'd have done that? Yeah. What if I'd have said that? What if I'd have yeah, gone upstairs? It's exactly that. You know, sooner than I did and could yeah. have stopped this, you know, but it didn't happen like that. And yeah. no matter what you beat yourself up for in your own mind, it still would have had the same yeah. outcome. Yeah, exactly. And that I remember very clearly saying to him, I don't want it to be the truth. And he said, but it is. He's died. And I said, but I don't want... I don't, I don't want him to be dead. And he said, but he is. And I think that's when a few of the tears started to come. Yeah. And he walked off for a bit and asked me to write down some words about myself. And with a pen and paper, I sat there whilst he was paying for our teas um, and wrote disgusting, fat, ugly, doesn't deserve to be here, vile, the most horrific, horrible things I'd said about myself. 
And then, quite bizarrely, I drew a dustbin and a dustbin van, dustbin man van. <laughs> um, and was putting the words in the bin. It was re really strange. That's, and that's good. Yeah. And because you, the, the, you, yeah, you know somewhere along the line. So yeah. Isn't, you're not those things. And Jeff hadn't asked me to, you just to do it. it. I just did it. And then he came back and looked. And he went, rip, rip them all up now. Rip them up. And I ripped that piece of paper, all those words up into tiny, tiny bits. Mm. And we could have just left it there then for one of the waitresses to clear up. But instead, what we did was, well, Jeff said... We're going to get these pieces of paper now and we're going to walk across the road over to that bin and we're going to put them in that bin. Mm. And we did. And we were, How did that we were, feel when you did it? Um, I felt lighter. I Remembering it now, I've straight away gone from that horrible feeling I had when I was talking to you just. The dread. Yeah. And to the, a bit of... To, like, I can remember, I actually smiled at him and he... I, we were both visibly... Um, emotionally affected by what uh, we the, had just talked just about yeah. and it was on it's called rock street where this bin is and i always remember him saying one day i want you to write me a little story about what happened on rock street which i have yet to do but from then on life started to change for me mm. Um, what I will say about Jeff, which I just thought was marvellous and fantastic, um, was that later that afternoon he contacted me and said, how are you feeling now? And it, it was awful. I, felt, I remember I lay on my bed, I couldn't lie down in one position, I had to move. I kept feeling like there was a storm over my head in the ceiling of my bedroom, like a thunderstorm. Mm. And, and then eventually... Um, it the best way and to use an analogy, it was like I was on a raft in the middle of a really awful storm in the sea, and I had to do my best to cling onto that raft, which was made out of wood, and that was my only lifeline. And then as that day went on, slowly but surely the rain stopped, then the wind, and then the sea became a bit calmer. Mm. And then the storm was passing. Yeah, and I could see a beach. And at, on that beach, the sun shone bright, bright, more brightly than I've ever seen sunshine before. And then it just felt like I drifted towards the beach and I stood on the beach um, alongside my dad. Oh. And it was just so orange from the sun. Um, so hence why you've changed yeah. your name from Stephanie Hicks to, to Stephanie Orange Hicks. Yeah. I've which I love. I think it's fantastic. And this is you and your personality. It's like you've got all these things that hold you back. But if there's something that you want to do. Yeah. I and you don't do care that. what anyone else thinks. I'm going to change my name to Stephanie Orange Hicks. There's um, a few more names. I'm not sure if you know. No. Um, so on the day I, I told Jeff, I've come up with this idea. I know about my orange in the glass. Um, I, I'm going to change my name to Orange. I can't 
I can remember him thinking, out laughing. What? what have I yeah. done? <laughs> I think, first of all, he checked it wasn't April Fool's, as I was good at giving him loads of April Fool yeah. jokes, which he always fell for. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when he realised, I remember he looked at what must have been a paint swatch for all of the various colours of orange, shades of orange, and he said, what about, and it was like a really posh sounding name for orange. And I said, no, I, I'm thinking I'm going to go for orange. He's like, okay. And then... What, like Clementine or yeah, something like that? Like yeah. Stephanie Clementine well, as did, opposed to just or, orange. <laughs> and, you know, you really need to think about this stuff. I was like, I will, I will. A few weeks later... So what's the other names? Well, a few weeks later, payday. So therefore, could go on to Depol. It's all online, and you could go go on pay a, what I consider it was quite a small amount of money um, to then change your name under fifty quid, I think, something like that. And so I wrote out my name. I wanted to be known as Stephanie Orange, but I'd keep the Hicks there because, well, my sister Natalie really wanted me to. Yes. Um, and so... You are a Hicks. Yeah, I am a Hicks. Um, and just as I was leaving, so I'd paid up, just as I was leaving the website, and you know, had to press confirm. Do you definitely want to be Stephanie Orange Hicks? Yes. Um, do you wish to add any other names? Oh. oh my god, Emily. <laughs> so you've had a bit like if they'd have known it was gonna be you, they could have adapted oh, that no. question. I think they should have. They probably have maybe Hang now on. since Stephanie's on deep pole. <laughs> yeah. Take out the, the question of do you want to add any of the names? Because exactly. it'll throw a complete spanner in the works. Oh I had what felt like a bubble physically of excitement shoot up through my body. And I added 12 names. Oh my God, go on, just tell me what it is. <laughs> One of them was Rainbow. I've seen you in your lovely rainbow top today. One of them was Sausage. And I mean, Emily, I went completely out of control <laughs> and added all these. <laughs> Orange, Sausage, Rainbow. Oh, oh, I know I had Daisy, Poppy. I just had so many but names. But it's all like po positive. The all Sausage, positive. I don't know where the Sausage part yeah, comes in. Just because I like the word. Sausage. <laughs> Little sausage. Then I went home and thought to myself, oh my God, what have I done? I can't remember half of my new name and I don't really think I want plant pot or something <laughs> like that in there. I just got carried away. And so the next day I called up the depot place and said, oh, um, changed my name yesterday. And I think I added too many um, names. And the man actually said, is your first name Stephanie by any <laughs> chance? <laughs> Which was quite funny. Um, but so he said to me, he would give me to the following Tuesday to have a think about it. And by 10 o'clock that following Tuesday, that would be it. It'd be done and dusted, name chosen. So over that weekend, I thought about it and I thought about it. And I did go back on, on Tuesday to change it. Um, it was about two minutes to 10 and the, they still hadn't picked up the phone. And so I was very panicky. But when they picked up the phone, I said I would then like to make a change to my new name. But I did still include some, but just not 12. And what is it? So I was born, you know, given the name Stephanie Elaine after my mum Hicks. 
So, I, you know, wouldn't want to hurt my mum's feelings and not keep Elaine. So I'm still Stephanie Elaine, but then it's love because love is everything. It, yeah, it is everything, isn't it? it it's don't even need to expand. Um, Marley. <laughs> because I believe both Bob Marley and actually a couple of his sons, the lyrics in their songs have often carried me through and pushed me towards brighter times. Um, so I really wanted to give Bob Marley a nod. So I had Love Marley and the next one Sunshine because... I love, everybody loves the sun, don't they? Oh, gosh, yeah. Everything feels better when the sun's shining. You feel that heat on your skin, you're like, after a long winter. It's just lovely. The dark nights when yeah. the spring comes and the sun radiates over I will, yeah. if I'm walking down a street and I can see a patch of sun, I'll always go towards that and walk and along me. the sun. And me. It's like the other day, um, I had to make a phone call outside of work and I walked out of the car park and saw a spot. Mm. And I was like, I'm standing in that. Yeah, yeah, I'll absolutely do it. Just makes me feel, and I believe a lot of other people, happy. And I do remember my dad used to call me Little Miss Sunshine from the oh. Mr. and Mrs. It's funny because um, I've got a nighty that's got Little Miss Sunshine on it. Aww. And Pearl, my daughter, was like, I want one, so I'm trying to get Did one you? for her now, yeah. Oh, I'll have to And she almost threw a little bit of a strop with me. Um, because she said, I want to be Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, I want to be. And I was like, you are. I thought I'd wear it for, for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. Yeah. We'll have to find her one. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so what? where do we have? We have... So we've got Stephanie, Elaine, Elaine Love, Love, Marley, Marley Sunshine, Sunshine, Angel. Angel. Because I'm a big believer that there's angels all around us, whether you believe that's as angels on a spiritual level or actually it could just be your best friend. I believe in angels. And then comes the mighty orange and then hit. Which is self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we just... So it's... You say your full so name. So it's Stephanie, Elaine, Love, Marley, Sunshine, Angel, Orange, Hicks. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and this is it. It's like with everything that you've gone through, you've got the most positive name <laughs> ever. But it's my version of a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo. because. So is that on your passport? It's, yeah, it's official. Because you um, need to be with well, Yeah, this is I mean, the thing. I would love that if I was like the flight attendant and like <laughs> passport names. You know, it would brighten up your day. It was Jeff that actually signed the form. Was it? I what did you remember. <laughs> we were in um, a coffee shop in central London with one of his sons and he said you really you really have gone and done this haven't you and I said yeah and he said you sure because I needed somebody to countersign it with me and witness and I said yeah and it had to be, it needed to be Jeff it needed to be that was our journey yeah we'd gone on together what a fantastic and he friendship signed it. You've both yeah got. yeah I absolutely love him to bits so, so um how did the because obviously Jeff Brazy's book um, is obviously called The Grief Survival Guide. Yeah. Um, and it's how to navigate loss and all that comes with it. Yeah. So it's intense, but it's obviously compelling. And I'm, I yeah. think it's been a massive success. 
So at what point did you think, right, this is the time for me to go public, help other people reach out and write about what I've experienced um, called the delayed star? Yeah, well, Jeff asked me, which was obviously incredibly flattering, but very scary mm. because I'm, although I'm confident with people in terms of, I quite happily walk into a room of 100 people and make them feel good about themselves, but I can't make, or it's, or it's a struggle to make myself feel good about myself. Yeah. Um, so to be off, to be asked to do something like this, I just thought, why would you ask me? It's me. Um, so my low self-esteem kicked in. And then after a day or two, I just thought, well, I'll write the brief story and then we could go from here. And Always make a start. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a good way to look at anything. Think Putting things down on paper, for me massively helps yeah um and i love to help other people so you know i always say if someone's in a bit of a conundrum yeah let's have a look at the good and let's have a look yeah. at the bad which one i which ways the other yeah i wonder if we started doing that together that's reminded me of when we were younger me and you making lists my mom my mom's instilled a lot of that in me yeah as well. maybe my mom's a mom? real list um maker um and it's something that i found that's really maybe helped. it was you that taught me then i don't know but like recently i got her to um write down things that i wanted to say this is my goal yeah i wanted to hold up a mirror and say i love you sharon oh i'm not there yet but i will get her there but yeah. she has started writing things down that she likes about herself good and i think because she's wonderful. She, she is, and she, she's, you know, she puts herself down so much, but she really is. And I always yeah, say she that she's is. completely wasted. Yeah. Like, she can't help the things that she's yeah. got, but she's, again, like you, so positive to be around. She's such a laugh, yeah, and definitely. And it doesn't matter what happens to me, she's there. Yeah. She so is. Yeah. yeah and we always say, like... She says, I'm a lighthouse, I never go out. Uh -huh. And I love that. That's lovely. So it's it's always good to start with writing stuff down and then you can go back yeah. to it. And did, did Jeff help you? Well, no, this was the weird thing. Jeff created um, a Facebook site, um, and which I was um, a member of. And I felt rude that I hadn't introduced myself or said hi to all these other people who were sharing their mm. experiences of loss. And so one day I went, I, it was when I was stuck in the office as usual, and probably about eight o'clock in the evening in the middle of winter. And I thought, I just started to type. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and wrote all in one go, just told the story of what had happened, put it on there. And then Jeff said, I want, I think we should use this with, for your chapter. And that's what we used. And it was sent to the editors and the editors asked me to say, where am I now? So how is life? Now I've finally accepted about my dad. Mm. So that's what I then added on um, about various things. But it all came out in one go. I think if I'd have overthought it, I'd still be trying to write it now. 
but you just wrote I it just, from the pure emotion yeah, from the heart. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tend to post things on Facebook like that. It will just all come out in yes, five minutes I love them. and it's just gone. I love them. And that's always the best way. It's like when people write albums. Yeah, it just you know. comes out. You don't know. Sometimes people it. say that lyrics and words and stories just fall from the sky. Yeah, It's definitely. like it was meant to. Yeah. It just comes to you. Totally. And that's exactly how I am. Um, considering I'm an overthinker, I'll have these brief little sort of gaps. And moments. Where me, I will come out, me. That happens to me on occasions. Mm. I hated doing these videos. Yeah. These posts to start off with. And like we said earlier with, with Oscar, who's helped me. Um, I'm dying to see the one about me. I haven't had the chance yet. You know, <laughs> um, I did it so many times, the intro. Yeah. And it just felt so unnatural. And I was just like, oh. Yeah. But the videos, I just do them. Yeah. And then I think because that is me. Yeah, exactly. And when I think... And that's a sign maybe of realising you are good enough. So you, you're mm. not having to edit it and put it in a different sort of filter and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually best when you just be you. Yeah, and it's always because I'm talking about other people as well. I always think, oh, I hope they like it. Yeah. But I drove here thinking, oh, I hope she's okay oh, with this. And I haven't I wish I'd have said more on this or I wish I'd have said more on that. But... You know, sometimes you just have to think, I've said it from the heart. Yeah. And what it's about. And yeah. And, and then, then sometimes you just have to leave it there, don't exactly. you? Exactly. I mean, earlier when we took the photo for this session today, I mean, I was filled with absolute dread. Don't want to see the photos. I was just, it's so unnatural to me. But then when I said, how about if we do it this way and had a laugh for a joke and we took that one. Yeah. And then and you said, actually, one. that's my favourite one because that was me being me. Exactly. Um, so that's the one we shall use. Yeah. I think the natural photos are always the best anyway. So, yeah, so since in, writing the chapter, the delayed start in, in the book. Yeah. What's happened since then? Have you had some acceptance? What, what feedback have you had? Um, it took me a long time to tell people I'd done it. I felt um, nervous and embarrassed because I'm not used to saying How you feel. I did something and I didn't want it to come across as I was being boasty because it really wasn't. And then I was really embarrassed to tell anyone. And in the end, one day I managed to on Facebook. Best thing you did. And yeah, I, I had didn't, such certainly lovely didn't feedback. See it like that. Yeah, thank you. Um, life's been in a lot of turmoil since. Um, it's been very, very rewarding to have accepted that Dad has died because by, I think I say in my chapter, by accepting that I have him back again because now I can enjoy memories yes, of him. which is important. Which really important because he was such a huge part of my life. Um, it definitely made me, I became quite spiritual, I was doing a lot of walking, healing. Um, I highly recommend that. Yeah, yoga. Walking changed my life last year. Yeah, walking's fantastic I think and, and for mental health in general, getting out and walking is so amazing. It was, um, it was Fern Cotton's book, Happy, okay. that inspired me. I knew I was in a bit of a dark place. And yeah. I thought I need to do something. Um, to strive towards almost. It, it, just, just, just something. I mean, I've always done my martial arts, but I need yeah. to. That's in a group. 
which yeah. I think is important. But I needed to do something where I was just in my own headspace yeah. because it's not always about going out and mm. doing it. Sometimes it's about learning to be friends with, with your own mind. Exactly that. So I read in her book, she said, just go out and walk. Yeah. And she wrote about how she just walked and walked and walked. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. And obviously the Birmingham Children's Hospital is so, so, so close to Absolutely. my heart. Absolutely. And they're amazing. I went on their website because I know they do challenges. Yeah. And I read Happy, the book that Ferncon did, and I automatically signed up for the Snowden Challenge. Oh, so I knew I'd have to train. Yeah. It was the best thing I did. Yeah. I, I was in a very good place for a good sort of eight to nine months after what I um, writing the chapter. And then some very negative things happened at the company where I was working, which I think is a conversation for another day. Yeah. But um, life's always yeah. going to have these challenges. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and, it, and I always say to, you know, I said to my husband, life is a roller coaster. It definitely you is. You know, you don't know these things that yeah. are going to happen. And there's been some things that have happened in our family recently that's really, we've got some amazing happy news. Yeah. There's, you know, a bundle of joy on the way. And then there's something else that's happened yeah. that's... You know, Very and it's sad. trying to balance the happiness with the yeah with that, and I'm like, life is a roller coaster, and yeah, it's trying to accept that these things are going to happen, even though you don't want them yeah. to. Yeah, and to get some tools in your tool bag to help you bring yeah. them out when you might need them. Tomorrow's that, always another yeah, day, isn't it? You don't it know what is. tomorrow's going to bring. There is, and things always happen for a reason. I'm mm. su such a great believer in that. I think what happened with my work was a, a horrible situation but actually now on the other side of it I am a free person and I'm coming back to myself more and more I've had a year full of a lot of turmoil with with my mental health um but it's so nice to see those little gaps in the clouds where that sun's shining through for what I could maybe be um, in the future. And maybe with all the hours that you were constantly working and yeah. like the OCD kind of made your job. Yeah. Maybe, like you say, that happened for a reason. Yeah. And you're getting the help. Yeah. And you're on the medication. Exactly. And you're um, here for a very, very good reason. You're an amazing person. Oh, thank you. And that's definitely a reason. Thank you. And that's meant to happen. I will have days where um, I can, for some reason, when I wake up, the anxiety's there, it's inside my tummy. And um, it's like I become really frightened of it. I don't want it to consume like me. Like a fear. Definitely. And it can. it's almost like um, sometimes I imagine a monkey inside your body banging a drum or like some sort of... Um, creature that's inside that's trying to beat you up and whether or not you can try and stay on top of it mm. but meditation is a very good way of helping and meditation for people who aren't struggling with their mental health mental health is not um a permanent phrase everybody has mental health we, we've yes. all got mental of health we have. and sometimes it's going to be absolutely great and sometimes it's maybe going to be a bit wobbly and I think because the word mental um, tends to sometimes 
conjure yeah, up of course it does negative it, it, it does but it, it's not is it no it's, it's like the word depression yeah you know, it's like definitely where does depression stem from the times of the depression yeah and all the rest of it but it's it's how you sort of channel it yeah and and, and and making sure if you've never if you're listening to this and you've actually can honestly say you've never really struggled with your mental health then that is fantastic and my best advice will be keep going at that then so in the way that you have athletes or normal people exercising to keep their body healthy we need to think exactly the same of our minds. I love so, that. Yeah, you just it's so true because you don't you don't know somebody might never have suffered with any mental health yeah. issue and then boom, all of a sudden it's there. And exactly. learn certain things that will help you keep your mind strong and, and your mental health strong. And meditation. So is many fantastic. people on this podcast have mentioned meditation. I can recommend a, a company in particular yeah. called Headspace. Headspace. They are so good. It's an app. The man, Andy Puddlecum, I believe his name is, has the most amazing voice and he's got a very interesting history behind him too. And he guides you into meditation and don't worry about if you're doing it right or wrong or how good or bad it is. Because it's quite hard to start with you. Very hard. But again, you start putting the pressure on yourself. But once you let go... Yeah, once you let go and realise, you know, all your mind's starting to think about getting your shopping from Tesco's. As soon as you realise that, just acknowledge it and take yourself back to your breathing. It, what it's doing, it's just giving your mind a rest and switching put, off. Yeah, just having a break. Um, because we're just so busy with all these thoughts going on around all the time. And I think, like you say, with the walking, giving yourself time to just be... I think it's a it's Buddhist. It's so, so important, yeah. and it is a Buddhist. I think a Buddhist quote said it's something about. Well, I was going to ask to end the show. What yeah. your favourite kind of affirmation or um, quote or positive thought um, really well, is? I do like how the Buddhists say, and I, this is please don't get this word for word. Um, but I, I remember reading a quote along the lines of. You can't, you can't see your reflection in bubbling water. It needs to be still. And so I think that's so important. You need to be still so you can look at yourself and be happy with yourself. And even if you were not happy and going through a hard time, it's still important to let the bubbling water go past Settle. and have the calm... So that you can see, yeah. And the tranquility. But my quote would be, I haven't got one prepared, but it'd be something along the lines of, you're always going to find the shadow and dark paths, but if you look far enough and hard enough, you'll find the bit on the path where the sun is shining. So go and walk in that and shine on, really. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Shine on indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so oh, much for coming welcome. on. Um, it's been a breath of fresh air having you on and listening to everything. It's been amazing catching up with you. It has. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Thank or... you. To say thank you. We were talking about gratitude earlier. So thank you to you for giving me this opportunity. You've pushed me out of my comfort zone, which is what I needed. Um, 
you've given me the opportunity for us to meet up again and it's like none of those years have even existed isn't it it is it's so true isn't it and i said yeah. once you came here because there has been a few changes of dates yeah and I thought, definitely she will get here i will get her here i yeah. know that she'll like it when she gets here and i knew i'd so enjoy this podcast yeah. and it's you know what it's the last one oh this today is the last recording of the first series congratulations um thank you but but thank you to you because i think it's ended on in such a beautiful way oh. so i'm really grateful to you thank you very and i wish much. you all the best and you and if anybody wants to read um stephanie's chapter in the jeff brazier book the grief survival guide it's called the delayed start and you can buy it anywhere really yeah. amazon waterstones all the all the places that you go to buy you can get books. it on ibooks or itunes yeah. as well so if you need to if you're better at listening to it audibly you can do yeah because um, some people are aren't they yeah some people prefer audio audible so um no thanks thanks Beth. it's been oh, a pleasure you're welcome <laughs> let's go and do lunch yeah. <laughs>